Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the January 18th, 2022 edition of Ask a Leader. Gotta say, yesterday was a hallmark of performative art in that those who have shown little, I mean very little, understanding about their role in supporting universal voting rights in the U.S., they're tripping over themselves to get to the to commemorate the late great Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. I hope none of you, my precious listeners, were fooled by them. Today, my guest for the full hour is Mandisa Thomas, founder and president of Black Nonbelievers, a fitting spiritual take around the celebration of the preeminent clergyman and civil rights leader, Reverend Martin Luther King. We'll be right back after a real quick station break. Welcome back. My guest for the full hour is Mandisa Thomas, the founder and president of Black Nonbelievers, Inc. As a fraught as identity politics are, the topic of spiritual identity is raised today. It's a way of recognizing what makes an individual whole on their terms. Today's treatment is not intended to drive a wedge inside a group namely and especially black Americans. That's why I'd like to bring my listeners along with that thought. Now back to the introduction, although never formally indoctrinated into belief, Mandisa was heavily exposed to Christianity, black nationalism, and Islam. An avid reader as a child, she enjoyed various tales of gods from different cultures, including Greek and Ghanaian. Through reading these stories and being taught about other cultures at an early age, it registered with her similarities and differences between those deities and the God of the Christian Bible, making her wonder what made this God so special that he warrants such prevalence in today's society. That's mainly her quote there. Among Mandisa's numerous media appearances are CBS Sunday Morning, CNN, and Playboy, The Humanist and Jet Magazine's podcast as well the humanist hour and ask an atheist and two documentaries contradiction and my week in atheism mandisa currently serves on the boards for american atheists and the reason rally coalition and previously for foundation beyond belief and the secular coalition for america she also is an active speaker and has presented at conferences and conventions for Freedom From Religion Foundation, Secular Student Alliance, and many others. I had the pleasure of hearing her talk at a recent Humanist Association of Orange County in a virtual form, and that's when I was so glad that she had um, agreed when I asked, reached out to her to come on this show in rapid fire. It was really, this is really great. Among her awards and recognition, there are many. I'm going to list only the Harvard Humanist of the Year, Free Thought Heroine, from the Freedom From Religion Foundation, Backbone Award, Person of the Year by Unitarian Universalist Humanist Association. And in 2017, Mandisa was recognized by name in a bill, I guess for those of you who've watched bills being made, the uh, SCR 79 was introduced by our state Senator, Dr. Richard Pan, 
and adopted by the California State Senate, proclaiming October 15, 2017, as the 16th annual celebration of California Free Thought Day. Prior to her founding Black Nonbelievers, she worked in the hospitality sector, including with the Centers for Disease Control and uh, Prevention. She is product of the acclaimed high school of music and arts and performing arts, and she attended Queens College, both of these in New York City. I, as I said, I had the pleasure of hearing before, and I'm so glad to have the opportunity to host her on this community community radio platform. She comes to us today from the Atlanta area. Now we're going to hear her voice, folks. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Mandisa Thomas. Hello, Claudia. Thank you. That was quite the introduction. Well, uh, we've got to cover all the bases because that's where you've been at all the bases. And we're going to get into some really interesting kind of situation. And I maybe I could just, just let you respond to what I was saying, that the purpose is, you know, I'm very mindful of identity politics, but my my nod to that this isn't going to be kind of a wedge exercise. And I just let's could you respond to that? Is that capturing that or did I are there is there a big hole there that we need to patch up before we start the whole interview? I don't think so. I think it's important that this identity of ours is expressed. And this is an opportunity for people to learn more and to really re-examine their fears or their misconceptions of uh, non-believers, atheists, humanists, etc. Well, good. So then we're going to start where we, I intended to start, is we'll have you tell us, Mandisa, about your own religious upbringing, traditions, and principles. Yes, so as you stated in the introduction, I was raised in a black nationalist household, so I wasn't formally raised religious. I was exposed to different religions. I sang in various churches, various Christian churches. I also attended events that were um, put on by uh, the 5% sect of the Nation of Islam. And so I had a very diverse upbringing which did not include um, being uh, like routinely attending religion, uh, a church at all. Well, it's my it's, mother. And, uh-huh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It just, uh, the thought occurred oh, no. to me is that the, there, in other words, you weren't raised around dogma. There weren't helpings on your, your dinner plate of dogma. Is that, is that fair to sort of characterize it in one way? Not religious dogma. I will say that I didn't, escape indoctrination, because I think we're all indoctrinated in some way. However, I was not raised with this idea that there is this uh, God or this Christian God, or at least this white God, that is, that is watching over us and protecting us in any way. Okay. So how and when did you process that you are I mean, and, and no, uh, no qualifiers at all. You are an atheist. So the first time I was introduced to the word atheist, I was in high school. And I remember being so outspoken about issues that pertained to the black community and how they have impacted us, because that's what I grew up learning about. And one of my classmates asked, 
if I was an atheist and I asked what that meant. And I was told that, you know, it meant that I didn't believe in heaven or hell. And for a while, I said, well, I can agree with that because I could never reconcile this idea of heaven or hell. But for the longest time afterwards, I would consider myself spiritual but not religious, that I didn't, certainly didn't believe in any of the Judeo-Christian gods, but that there was some sort of entity, some sort of divine being that was looking out for us. I came full circle to my atheist identity at the end of 2010, when I started connecting with more atheists and people who were questioning. And once I really got a better idea, a full idea of what an atheist meant, which means that, you know, I don't, you don't subscribe to any God spirits or supernatural beings as if they actually exist, then it just became clear to me. Were there, were there sort of uh, moments that were there, you know, in terms of interpersonal events or political events or something that you needed some kind of a spiritual scaffold that made sense to you to get through something? I mean, were, what, were there some defining kinds of developments in your life just to, so we can see? And so, so listeners who might see that resonating, they think, oh, well, this may be, this may be where, where they, they're headed or something like that. Yeah, so I didn't escape trauma growing up. My parents separated when my brothers and I were very young. I can say that I had I, I overcame an abusive background. Mm. I'm sorry. And I also grew up in I grew up in a project. You know, for lack of a better, you know, for I, I grew up in a housing development. So, and I also know what it's like to not have. I don't come from privilege, if you will. So there have been many times in my life where I did try to look to some sort of entity for a sense of where I was going and trying to make sense of my life. However, what always made more sense and what always resonated with me was philosophies and things that taught you to look from within, that we as human beings are capable of doing more than we realize. And that's what always resonated with me. And I would also say that for everything that I have been through in my life that were, was no fault of my own, if there was a God that couldn't prevent that from happening, then it definitely isn't all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful. Because no one should ever have to go through that. No. So, I mean, it wasn't exactly a pace of pain and struggle, even though that was a part of it, but it was, it was being able to process everything and as well as having this non-religious upbringing, having the ability to critically think and have my mind expanded at an early age at the same time, is where I really became comfortable with saying that, okay, these deities or these entities do not exist. So were there peers, relatives, or some, some that sort of pushed back on where they thought they understood you were headed spiritually? I mean, was, were, were there hurdles to sort of say, no, really, I want everybody to accept what I've already accepted. I have an 
atheist construct about my world. Well, I do remember a cousin of mine and I having a strong disagreement when we were teenagers. She was trying to explain the concept of original sin and how all babies are born in sin. And I pushed back. I said, well, that doesn't make any sense. I said, babies are born innocent. How are they born innocent? So just, just from a common sense perspective. And she was just really, really trying to explain it. And, and again, it just did not make sense to me. I've also had other family members over the years, especially after I became an activist, who wanted to, you know, they were a little confused about my perspective. And I will say that one of my earlier influences into secularism was my maternal grandmother. Oh, whenever she Yes, whenever she w- would have, like, family gatherings, Thanksgiving, for example— there was never any prayer over meals. Easter was all about the Easter bunny and the candy and the eggs. She loved celebrating holidays, but no one, she never made anyone pray over any food. Did people say, well, we're, we're missing that step? I mean, did, and she said, this, we, are here to get, we are here to enjoy, let's, let us enjoy this meal now. I mean, is there, was there like a gap? And she said, I'm, she filled it in some other affirming way. I mean, how did that, how did that dynamic play out before everybody got to eat? <laughs> well, the way she just expressed her love was through food. Okay. As well as the support that she provided for my aunts and uncles and my mother, and and really for the community. You know, my my grandmother was very well loved in our community, in our neighborhood. So that was how she expressed her love. Now, I do have some family members who are Christian, Muslim, and somewhat in between. So on my mother's side of the family, just one particular religion was not forced. I think my grandparents were okay with whatever their children decided to believe as long as they weren't trying to push it on anyone. Okay. All right. Everybody's got a lane. <laughs> Just stay in your right. lane. Right. Now, my, yeah, my, my dad's side of the family, different story. Okay. My paternal grandmother, super duper religious. Everything is praise the Lord. You know, you had to pray over every meal. You had to acknowledge God, even though that side of the family had uh, almost the same set of problems that most families had in that neighborhood. But my grandmother was so, she's she's extremely religious. Okay. For those of you who've just tuned in to Ask a Leader, my guest is Mandisa Thomas, founder and president of Black Nonbelievers. And I'd like to explore then about that in atheism and non-believers, those are interchangeable, are they? I mean, in, the, in, all, in all respectfulness. Yes, I think they are. There are a lot of similarities. Some people would say they are the same. But the reason why we chose black, uh, non-believers in the title of the organization is because it is a more expanded definition, because atheism, for those who aren't aware, is just the lack of belief in any God, spirits, supernatural, you know, supernatural deities okay. or entities. Mm-hmm. But um, the reason why we use non-believer is because 
we don't subscribe to anything that doesn't have an evidence or verified premise, which goes beyond religion. It doesn't mean that we just don't read. I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't believe or come to a conclusion on anything. However, we, we apply our critical thinking skills and skepticism to everything in life. Which is a, I mean, that is such a spiritual practice, really, to critically and deeply think through a, a, a premise that is that would otherwise be accepted on, on its face. It's just, I mean, that, that just has to be a, such an affirming spiritual practice that way. I'm also affirmed by evidence. I'm also affirmed by doing research, making sure I verify things. That so that it is not just simply my thought, because I could be wrong. And I think it is definitely a way of life, or, or should be, how people are living their lives. Not that they should be, you know, not that they should be told that they should believe in something, but that they should always research, trust, and verify, trust but verify so what I'd like, when the, the talk that you gave with the Orange County Humanist Association was that there is a legacy in black history of atheism, or maybe they would have used the word non-believers. They probably all had different words uh, to use. W.E. Dubois and Bayard. Bayard Rustin was probably of the huge list, one of the sort of really adamant kind of non-believers. So maybe you could, it, I don't mean to be uh, rushing the this rather sizable topic we could spend a whole hour on all of them but you want to sort of right. name name some so that people can say wow so that's that's where that creative and uh, spiritual person you know that's their tradition so if you could just give us an, a, a, a sort of a mention of many of these luminaries in black history in the u.s absolutely so i think we should clarify that bayard rustin Grew up as a Quaker, and I think that's how he identified as okay. one of the more liberal of religions. Okay. He was also LGBTQ. Yes. You know, he was a gay man. Outwardly. And that is why, for the longest period of time, he was written out of the history book. But he could, he could definitely be considered on, like, a free thought secularism or, like, traditionally non-religious or non-traditionally religious, I'm sorry. But there are some other historic black atheist humanist uh, freethinkers are Zora Neale Hurston, the, uh, the, the noted Harlem Renaissance era author, Lorraine Hansberry, who uh, famously wrote A Raisin in the Sun, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, founder of Negro History Week, which later became Black History Month, uh, Hubert Henry Harrison, who was dubbed the Black Socrates of the uh, the Harlem Renaissance era, like you said, W.E.B. Du Bois, one of the founders of the NAACP, or the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And some people would also put Frederick Douglass in that same category. Um, I think he still identified as religious, but he was very forward-thinking. He challenged pro-slavery Christianity, and there is a number of, there are more people, uh, James Foreman, for example, who was uh, very active in the civil rights movement, Stokely Carmichael, and uh, author Nella Larson. And the list actually can go on. Yes. 
So there's two paths I want to make sure we fully cover here. The, the background, you, also in the talk with the Orange County Humanist Society, you talked about how the Christian church, it was, a, a, I guess, a gift and a deterrent in black liberation in the American society. So do you, I mean, it's a, it's a big bite to chew on, but could you talk about the role that it, uh, sort of the path in how it was a limiting factor in how blacks were a were a part and operated in this society from the from very the very beginning in 1619 and what what construct that particular church was that made it more limiting the, the european yes, trial. So, yes. Mm-hmm. so we do recognize and acknowledge that the black church has played a huge role in black communities uh, served as support system for many blacks who didn't have much else or who had um, their their land and uh, means taken from them as a result of Jim Crow laws and terrorism by groups like the Ku Klux Klan. We also recognize that there are a number of historically black colleges and universities or HBCUs that was started as a result of uh, churches. So we, we do acknowledge, and, and also the number of leaders that were involved, of religious leaders that were involved during the Civil Rights Movement, uh, in addition to Dr. King. So we definitely don't want to take away from that. The problem with uh, religion in black communities and how, as I said, it has been a crippling agent is that the church is one of the huge purveyors of respectability politics, meaning that it actually sets forth this idea of the place of black folks. And the church has actually embellished their role in the civil rights movement to a large extent. Many of the pastors and the leaders were actually reluctant to get involved because it was dangerous, so that is understandable. Mm-hmm. But also, Christian principles are rooted in white supremacy and establishing the very same institutions that have held black folks back with a justification from the Bible. And this is something that many people ignore, and it has played a huge part in, again, the limitations of black folks physically but also mentally. Say more to that, please. Yes, so when we talk about that, when we talk about the number of, you know, the, let's say, for example, the number of, of black folks who unfortunately died from COVID, for example, mm-hmm. we'll take it as a recent example, because so many people thought that God was going to get them through this, but also that they were putting, they were also still attending churches at the ill advisement of their leaders, simply because that is out of tradition. And there are so many of us, and this doesn't mean that non-people of color don't do this as well, because that's a misconception. But considering the percentage of the population, the percentage of the black population, compared to the number of believers, which is still astoundingly high, and a number of people who just simply put their faith or just put stock in their faith over education, 
or actually seeking clinical help because that has seems to have been embedded into the psyche has been damaging, especially looking at certain economic factors, which some have been deliberate as a result of institutional racism. So there are, when we look at, again, the, the, the fact that it seems like there are a number of religious people who felt like they, they, they really couldn't have that fight. So as a human rights issue, it eventually took place. But so many people attribute that fight to how God was able to get us through it, but think, not thinking about the fact that perhaps this God, if it is true, actually put us in this in the first place. So there are a number of things that leave people unwilling to reconcile this paradox of this institution that has been a part of our communities for so long, but reinforces doctrine that is damaging. And might this also be a kind, you're, you're talking a little bit in so many other words, sort of determinism, predetermined kinds of outcomes like in COVID or in other situations or in economic status, is that predetermination could sort of cement that uh, it it happens in this life, but in the the afterlife, that you'll you will you've got that to look forward to, and you'll be liberated then. But never absolutely. I mean, that, that seems. Yeah. I'm sure listeners are already thinking about that. But I <clears throat> I just wanted to frame that one as a probably the one of the largest maybe sorts of limitations on how one could ask for more Correct. during one's life. Correct. And because things have been so hard in this life. This, this idea that you will get your reward in heaven definitely plays a huge part. That was definitely a huge factor during the period of legal enslavement in, in the United States. And unfortunately, it has passed down mentally to many. I want to let my listeners know that you're listening to my guest today, Mandisa Thomas. She's founder and president of Black Nonbelievers. And we're, we're looking at you know, what there there are non-believers in uh, black history, and we've talked about them. And sort of, we're talking now about sort of, but the headwinds they have been facing. Mandisa Thomas faces in trying to provide a way of looking at developing, building a spiritual life that is sort of counter to the predominant sort of uh, spiritual cultural backdrop. And I, I'd like to know, I mean, when I was doing a little checking around with, you know, see what people were curious about me asking you, Mandisa, was, you know, do people really, they they were sort of like, oh, non-believers exist as a, a group. So how you must run into this a lot where people didn't know you were there. So it's this atheist following or uh, non-believer tradition is and I, I should be I use it very guardly the, the word tradition because it, it, this non-believers is really an open-ended kind of a, a a way of thinking. But how do you, to what extent in black spiritual culture would you say is the are non-believers? What percentage? Because you you talked a bit about that also in the Humanist Association meeting. I think that's really interesting. Uh huh. So uh, according to Pew Research's recent survey uh, in February of 2021, uh, the number of nuns, if you will, has gone up to about 
21%. There are still relatively fewer openly identified atheists, agnostics, humanists, non-believers in comparison. This was based on, the study, again, a study they did, and there's still only about 1% to 2% of the black community that identifies explicitly or specifically as atheist or agnostic. You know, we, we, can, we can surmise that there are more out there, but there is a fear factor that comes along with open identification. So it is important that people do respond to surveys about their identity, like their religious identity, because that is how we are able to, to determine what those numbers are. The 21% is actually up from about 10 years ago when it was only about 13%. Wow. Something's happening there. So, mm-hmm. so I... You can hear me tripping on my words. I'm at a loss to to be precise and respectful of how to capture something that's this large. And so I guess I can I should ask you to help me here and our listeners as well. Is it as much is it cultural and political and spiritual? Are all these things wrapped into nonbelievers? So I well, use the right frame not of reference. Spiritual, you know, many of us do not identify with a spiritual identity. We do uh, connect with those who are questioning religion, mainly in favor of leaving. We, and we recognize that there are some who are still grappling or battling with that, you know, with, with that notion. Now, there is a sense of culture. I consider myself firmly a part of Black culture, even as a non-believer, which is so vast, because there are different, like, you know, I would say, like you said, mention the word tradition. There are certain traditions, there are routines, there yes. are things that we do mm-hmm. that we establish as a people, as and as a, um, you know, and as a community. But I think that when we talk about culture and a connection, we certainly do think that it is important to identify strongly with the accomplishments that black folks have achieved and how some of that has some of some of the folks who were religious or spiritual how that has impacted their contributions we acknowledge that they have but we take it more from a historical and a practical perspective that's very helpful so when you were talking about that change over 10 years of, I mean, and it's the, their guesses, their estimates of how many would identify, what percentage. But what I'm, I'm wondering if you could characterize what you think is a driver of that change. If, are there different demographics that are finding they're looking for a home or they're accepted? There could be, I mean, the LGBTQ identified individuals, they want to go where they're well received. Is, is that, that going on? Are there other... Situ- other developments that you think that make non-believers a home for someone's spiritual life in those kinds of identities, those demographics? That is absolutely a part of it, because we contend that it is important for people to know that they have a space where they can identify and they can be feel safe. There are also, is also the fact that more young people are not buying into 
those religious claims anymore. And that is due to, of course, technology, the Internet, access to more information that compels people to not believe as strongly as they used to or at least subscribe to those fundamental principles of their parents and grandparents. They're finding themselves at odds with that. And as you mentioned, you know, with the LGBTQ community and people being more comfortable with those identities, they're finding that the teachings of these religions are too dogmatic for them to accept, no matter how much they change the messaging. And for the research that they do about different religions or even their own religions, there is that that crisis point, if you will, you know, where they have to decide which way they're going to go. And it's important for organizations like Black Nonbelievers in Black communities that connect directly for people to know that you don't have to find yourself back in the church or being forced to go back to church, especially if you don't believe anymore. Well, you know what? Yes, I'm sorry. mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Our our pacing is a little different there. I'm so sorry. So I'm wondering if we're looking at what social media provides in offering spiritual alternatives, I'm wondering if, if you or uh, others in with the non-believers, black non-believers sort of organization, if you're watching how the algorithms work, are they reliably staying in the spiritual wholesome path? They're, the algorithms aren't driving people somewhere else so that people are getting a real immersive experience about what you can offer. Have, have, have you followed how those algorithms work so people do find their spiritual home where black non-believers intends to make their welcome known? Does that make sense? Um, if you're talking about how social media Correct. is, um, how people are connecting yes. to us through social media yes. and how they're able to find that, sure, we absolutely do pay attention to that. And one of the most important Uh, aspects of our existence is making sure that we are available through different means. So whenever there is an opportunity for us to do an interview similar, much like this, because we do host our own programming, um, when we respond, when we actually engage with folks on social media, that lets people know that there is a space for them and that they can feel validated with their perspective. And that, that is okay. We also see how people are starting to express themselves, and they have expressed themselves, about religion, about the concept of God, Christianity, etc. And there are some people who came to this on their own, mm-hmm. but knowing that there is an organization and that there are other organizations and communities that they can connect with, with also like-minded, with like-minded individuals, is very very important. So that's uh, that's important. That is a function of Black nonbelievers is to keep making sure those algorithms are are working. I mean, because that it's absolutely nobody else is. It's uh, if it's a money maker for other organizations to try to m- make uh, you know divert the attention to something that has a, a very lucrative sort of outcome. Then uh, yeah, it's a it's a delicate process. I'm always looking for that. So I don't know if um, when we're talking about those others in the black history and if there's a conversation they, they've had with each other about 
their belief system, their spirituality, or what what are people when they come to you? They're when they find you finally. What do they? What are their conversations with? What they need and what they're getting from you? Does that does that make sense? That question. I want to know. It does. There's a dialogue. I want to eavesdrop. I guess is what I'm trying to do. So many of our members, much like many other atheists and non-believers, are concerned about their current social engagement. How do they connect or how do they continue? How do they have this conversation and how do they deal with family members, friends, mm-hmm. partners, spouses, even children? So how do they deal with this on a regular basis? How do they come to terms with how they may be treated? How do they stand up for themselves and, and their position? Mm-hmm. Sometimes even how to defend themselves in that position. And the support, that there's a lot of support that's needed in that. Because some of our members have had family members cut themselves off. Or they try to force them back into the fold. And there has also been a division in families, especially when children are involved. Mm. So there's a question about whether my children should continue to go to church. You know, how do I raise my children now? as a non-believer, and I have a religious partner. These are, these are everyday challenges and struggles that our members have and that they need support in dealing with as well as some guidance. Because if there, I understand it's important to have something, a, a spiritual construct, it, there's a, it's populating that spiritual mind so that if there's a void that that's where maybe a more proselytic kind of, or let's say where the default of a, a Christian tradition could move in if there's a void. So I'm, I can imagine parents wondering like, what do I, what do I equip my children with so that there isn't, they're not more fragile to something that is uh, aggressively proselytic. Isn't that I mean, that's part of the conversation, isn't it? Right. And then this is where we also incorporate our humanist principle. So for those who aren't familiar with humanism, you know, it is the philosophy that you basically don't need a God to be good, that you can do good for the world, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't take this belief in God in order to do it. And that it's also based on evidence and uh, and verified principles that have shown to work. So if we're talking about picking up a spiritual slack, if you will, I think humanism and secular humanism and encouraging people and showing people how we do good for the world while not believing in God makes a huge difference. So I want to give you a chance to talk about what Black non-believers also provides within the organization. There, There's a monthly session you offer, the Religious Trauma Group Coaching. Can you explain how that works for listeners? Speaking of yes, our other so topic. so we recently partnered with My Choice, My Power Counseling, which is a virtual uh, counseling um, a practice, if you will. Correct. Um, it is run by Sundria Hall, who is a former cult member, and she specializes in religious trauma counseling. So we have partnered together on the Religious Trauma Group Coaching Program for BN members who are still struggling with overcoming religious trauma. 
and who um, would like support on that. Because religious trauma coaching and therapy uh, is not necessarily taken advantage by um, black non-believers, black atheists, and, and people who are leaving religion. So we wanted to have a direct connection to our members to know that this service is available for them in order to help them move forward. And there's just a nominal cost of $30 per session. Due to popular demand, there has been a second monthly session added. So we have two separate uh, monthly sessions. Uh, there are two separate groups. And people can sign up on our website. We just started it this year, 2022. Wow. And the reason that remote kind of uh, opportunity or service that you're rendering is is, uh, significant is that when you also when you talked about uh, before the Humanist Society of Orange County, that uh, you put up the map of where all the chapters of the black non-believers are around the country, but there are none in California. What is going on with that? I mean, there may have been some, you said not presently, maybe there were some in the back in the, in history, but so wh- why aren't there? In, I mean, I would think California would be like your home office, not, I mean, you're based in Atlanta, but why aren't there chapters active in California right now, Mendisa? So we, our groups are called affiliates. Okay. Um, I know that sometimes we use those uh, chapters and affiliates interchangeably. Um, but our affiliates are run by people on the ground, and there have to be people who are willing to step up and take on a leadership role. Currently in the Los Angeles area, though, you have Black Skeptics Los Angeles, which is headed by Sakibu Hutchinson, one of my sisters in this movement. If you aren't familiar with her, I highly recommend that you make yourself familiar. There is also a partnered group, the Black Humanists and Nonbelievers of Sacramento in California. So there is a presence in the state. Okay. However, we try not to duplicate what already exists. So there is an opportunity for other cities in the state of California to start a being affiliate. It's just a matter of people stepping up and being willing to not just start it, but maintain it. And this is a challenge for any group. Right. And any group that has any national entity that has chapters or affiliates, because sometimes life happens for people and they are unable to continue their their roles or and most of them are volunteer you know that is important to you know to say there so and and we do have members that are you know that are you know we have people who are members of you know like our facebook group they follow us on social media who reside in the state of california and they do participate there but we do encourage people to participate with the local groups in their area. And those are also sort of under the banner of the many, many organizations that you're coalescing with. Do you want to, to name them? You've already named some of the humanist groups, but there are so many that you're working with. Do you want to mention some of those and so that people can see where where it's built already? Other Absolutely. Yes. So in addition to my board service, with American Atheists, I'm also a current board member for the American Humanist Association, as well as an organization called Humanist Global Charity. We are a member organization with the Secular Coalition for America, 
and some of our other partnered organizations are ex-Muslims of North America, Freedom from Religion Foundation, Camp Quest, Secular Student Alliance, Secular Woman, Hispanic American Freethinkers, the Center for Inquiry, also Recovering from Religion. That is a major organization that we partner with because we realize that much of our work coincides. There may be specific focuses, but much of what we do does center around secular and and non-religious community advocacy and support. So you are black non-believers, and so with those that you're coalescing, are are you finding that you have sort of an additional shingle you got to hang? Is like this is where we've got to bring in the black sort of uh, respect, the uh, the black inclusion in some of those others. There may be some defaults that are not so inclusionary. Is that part of what you're doing when you're interacting with those that you, with whom you're coalescing, Mandisa? Yes, because the representation of black folks in the secular community is still lacking, as well as people of color in general. And that is our target focus. We represent, for the most part, the black non-religious demographic. We are bringing a voice to those who haven't traditionally had voices in this movement and to show that there is an organized effort that is centered around issues that directly pertain to the Black community and and Black atheists in particular, and which may vary for the ex-Muslim community, which may vary for the Hispanic or Latin community, which may be, and some that may intersect, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is also why we work with organizations like the Secular Student Alliance, because we can help also support those Black secular students. So um, there is an element to, you know, black culture that we do focus on. And bring to those others with whom you're coalescing. So they, the, the representation becomes, it deepens their spiritual practice. Yes. So, Mandisa, what are some good ways that folks can follow you and get additional services? And I know you've got a big event. I'm not sure if the deadline's already passed for the big cruise you're, you're planning. So what's, what are some of the best ways to follow Black nonbelievers? Yes, the best way is to subscribe to us on our website, blacknonbelievers.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Black Nonbelievers. We are on Instagram at Be Nonbelievers Inc. We are on Twitter at Be Nonbelievers. The B and the N are capitalized. We also encourage people to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Black Nonbelievers Inc., where we actually launched our own YouTube show this year called In the Cut. It airs on Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And the next show will be January 29th. And speaking of BNCCon, the initial deadline deposit has passed. However, there is still an opportunity to book. People need to understand and know that this will be a fully vaccinated cruise, so you must be vaccinated and you should be boosted in order to uh, sail with us, and that you must be prepared to show a negative COVID uh, result before you board. Actually, that's a requirement. You must show that you are negative for COVID. 
There so you we're go. taking safety very seriously. Part of the practice, science-based way of moving and navigating in the world. That all it all fits there. Well, I know there is much more to say about this. Spirituality is an infinite topic. I know we, we have to close at this point. It's been, Mandisa, such a pleasure. And thank you for setting aside valuable time. You've got so many plates in the air. I don't know how it works there. But I thank you so much for taking the time to be on the program on Ask a Leader today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And Happy New Year to you. It's not too late to say that. Happy New Year. The happy, yes, Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you. My guest was Mandisa Thomas, founder and president of Black Nonbelievers, Inc. Well, uh, just one announcement before uh, I head out. Here's what's at stake right now in Congress. Remember to make a plan to call the Senate to pass the Freedom to Vote Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. I'm giving a number, folks, and it's easy to find, but I'm going to give it here on the station. 202-224-3121. Well, that's my wrap. And for next week's show, former mayor of Huntington Beach and climate activist Debbie Cook will return along with Connor Everts, my water activist guy, for a thorough discussion of water policy in California. You know a primer before more decisions are cast in stone. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Give me a beat and an ounce of leaf, and I'll show you things from the crease of the mountain peaks. Stay artful as I chop countries to state parcels. Leave the planet completely, become a space marshal. On the red plains, exploring the Mars dunes. Scrutinize asteroid debris and small moons. Who you talking to? I spit the cold vision. Visit every world near.